We are so excited to have Bill and Rita Moore with us. Uh, you know, when you think about heroes and missions and rock stars and missions, you think of the Moors. Uh, really, I'm not, I'm not saying it because he's sitting here. I'd say that even if he wasn't here. But uh, these guys have been working with African Tabernacle Evangelism for over 30 years. Uh, I'm giving away his age. He's a young man still. But um, uh, Rita's really young, you know. She married an old guy. But <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but these guys have been doing, uh, and he'll tell you more about it, but building tabernacles for churches in Africa. And I'll tell you what, I've been to Madagascar with them, and, and it's tough. It's not, you know, you think, oh, these missionaries, they're on vacation all the time. No, not, <laughs> not at all. And uh, he was telling the youth this morning some of the things he's had to eat on the mission field, and uh, pretty amazing. So, but these guys are awesome. They are true heroes of missions. They've been great friends of our church for years and years and years. So would you give a big Calvary welcome this morning to Bill and Rita Moore? Amen. You can sit down now. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Please do. Listen, I'm just a country boy from Oklahoma, raised pigs growing up, and here I am called by God. So God just uses, uh, uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We're going to have church here a little while, I hope. Uh, <laughs> It's great to be here, Pastor Rex. Thank you uh, for allowing us to come, Pastor Amy. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here and see so many good friends uh, that we've known uh, for a lot of years. And, uh, uh, you know, it does remind us how old we're getting, you know. <laughs> you know, I wish you all would have been in the youth uh, class this morning. They was telling me I'm 30 or 40 or something. I don't know. I said, yeah, come on, somebody. Don't even lie to me like that. <laughs> we suddenly are going to change from what we're talking about to lying and the Ten Commandments and what you should do. But... It's, uh, it's awesome uh, to be here and uh, just to try to share with you a little bit of what God is doing. Sis, if, if I get going too fast, you may need to scream at me because I, I tend to, to talk really fast uh, from time to time because I know this is not an African service. It, it will go on forever. <laughs> Unless you would like for it to be that. Do we have any takers? Anybody want to get out of here about 4 or 5 this afternoon? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll tell you, we've had some, we, you know, Pastor, you've experienced this. Uh, you know, uh, Ron, you've experienced this. Don, I, Ron, why did I say that? Uh-oh, now I'm in real big trouble. I know, I just, I just, I just got in trouble right then. It's, I humbly apologize. May I get on my knees and beg? <laughs> Uh, but it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's awesome to be here. But you guys have experienced uh, experienced these these services in Africa, I'm sure. And uh, they'll get up and they'll start saying things like Did you get that, sister interpreter? <laughs> I, I had to throw you off at least for a minute. <laughs> you know, that's just some basic greeting there. But uh, you know, we, we've got to experience these things. And it it was it's not a vacation, Pastor. You are right. But you know what? It's been an amazing trip. It's been amazing things that we've uh, been able to experience, even eating uh, things like we talked about there in, in youth group. I mean, things like warthog and zebra. How many of you know what zebra tastes like? Kind of like horse, yeah. <laughs> How many of you know what horse tastes like? <laughs> oh, I just had to throw that in there. But, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing the things that we've got to experience, the places we've, get, we've got to see, and, and knowing that God has placed his hand upon us and has directed our paths and let me just say a word of encouragement here to you today listen to what God is telling you listen very clearly you know there are times in our prayer life that we don't just have to be talking 
There's times we need to be listening as well. And as we do that, God will speak his will into our life. And as we follow after the direction that he places upon our life, it will be a successful life. And I often talk, especially when I'm talking to young people, about God's progressive revelation of his will for our life. I think at times, if I knew, if I would have known when I was 20 years old what I would have been doing for the next 30 or 40 years, I might have run the other way. But God, in his wisdom and in his knowledge, he tells us as we go, now here's the next step. Here's the next step. Now he may give us a big macro view of how things are going to be, but that micro view of what is next and what is next, he will consistently guide your steps and he will, he will direct your paths. That's scripture, isn't it? He will direct your paths as you go along. So listen to what God's saying, and, and no matter what season of your life it's, you're in, uh, he will continue to direct you. But yeah, Africa has been, been wonderful for us. Our daughter was born there, uh, and uh, we've uh, spent uh, so many years of our lives there, more there than we've really spent here as far as the work that God has called us to do. And it's been, it's been awesome. Uh, I think about the country of Malawi where we first started uh, back in uh, 1987 is when we were first approved for missions. And uh, so w we've seen a lot happen since then. You know, back in that day, there was about 200 I think the official number was 202 Assemblies of God churches in that country then. And today, depending upon, you know, sometimes we always don't always count so right in Africa. But we, we're pretty close. And so uh, we're saying there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 churches in that one country today. One of the 50-odd countries that are across the, the continent of Africa. And so it's pretty amazing what, what God is doing. And so much of our work has been in exactly that. It's been establishing churches. It's been planting churches, it's been nurturing churches, it's been partnering with churches. And sometimes we do one with one and one with the other, but there we, we planted multiple churches, especially I think during that first term of work there, we were involved in planting about 90 churches during that four-year period when we were first there in that country. Continued on and continued on and continued on. But, uh, I love those church services. I love I loved, uh, crusades, outdoor crusades, uh, you know, sometimes we would get in a little uh, little place of some kind, have something indoor, and have to move it outside. I, I was thinking about just west of the city. Well, I don't know if it was a city or not, but it was a, well, a conglomeration of people, and they did call it a city. The city is called Mzuzu. How many of you have heard of Mzuzu, one of the more popular cities around the world? Not. <laughs> we were living in that city of, uh, oh, I don't know, there may have only been 40, 50,000 people. I don't know what there was. I don't think I ever heard a number, but we had gone to the West, and we, we, we knew that there were so many places that needed to have churches planted. We needed to have something there. In fact, in that, in that particular town, there were missionaries from other organizations that were there, and so I had talked to them about this particular place. It was called Equindini. As we were going to go over to Equindini, I said, let me do a little research here. Let me find out what I can find out, and I talked to one guy, and he says, uh, don't even go there. There's no way that you can plant a church. He says, we've tried, and it was an ultimate failure. Don't even go. Don't waste your time on it. But we knew God was sending us there. Now, I have to tell you, I, I knew a little bit about Equindini because there was a hospital there. Uh, at least that's what they called it. Uh, and 
on a Wednesday afternoon, I started experiencing some severe pain in my abdomen, my stomach area. I mean, when I say I was, it was painful, I, I knew something was not right. You ever get some feeling like that? You know something's just not right happening in your body. And I told my wife, I said, we need to, we need to get to the hospital, get this figured out. So we got in the old double cab, four-wheel drive, speed the light, Toyota pickup truck. Had the straight front axle, leaf springs all around. That thing was rough as a cob. But I, I, I was looking out in the front. It, it's kind of like your youth group. What's the name of your youth group? One more. You know how many people fit in a Toyota double cab pickup? <laughs> one more. <laughs> we, we had one more in there a lot of times, I can tell you. But this time it was just Reed and I. Allison wasn't even born then. And we headed west. It was, a, it was a paved road, so it was pretty decent. And we pull up in front of this hospital. Now, this is the first time I had been to this hospital, the very first time. And uh, I was greeted by what I would probably call a corral. There was a barbed wire fence around this place, not for security of people or anything like that. You know, I assumed that it was probably to keep the animals out of the courtyard, if I can call it that, of the, uh, of the hospital. But when we went in, we opened the gate, went in, and we found animals inside. So I have no clue what the fence really was there for. Well, we found somebody, and they said, can we help you? And I, uh, I said, uh, yeah, I've got some pain. I've got a lot of pain. I need to see a doctor. I heard there was an expatriate doctor. From, I think he was from Scotland or somewhere. I said, I need to see him so he can evaluate, so he can help me. And uh, they said, okay, just a minute. Go over there and sit down and over by that little building over there. And there was just a lot of small buildings by and large there. So we found out that was his, his office. And so we went over there and sat down. And after a little while, he came and I explained to him what I was feeling, and he says, I've got an idea of what this might be. Let's do an x-ray. Go to that other little building over there. I went over there. They started looking for the key so they could get in the building. It took a while. This, apparently, it had been a long time since anyone had used the x-ray machine there. You know, radiation, you know, Different levels, you start saying, oh, what's going on here, you know? <laughs> Try to figure this thing out. Waited for a while. They finally found the key, came over. They had me take my shirt off, and they literally had me back up against a big uh, concrete wall. That was like their table or whatever, I guess. So they shot the picture and sent me back over to... The doctor's office, we waited there, and he came back, and by this time they had a, one of these big, huge negatives or whatever they're called ready, and he took it, and literally, friends, I literally tell you this, he didn't have one of those nice readers, he held it up to the light like this, twisted around, he said, yeah, that's what I thought it was. I said, what did you think it was? He said, you've got kidney stones. Who's had kidney stones? Did you enjoy them? I have had ladies tell me, I do not know if this is the truth, because as a, obviously I'm not a lady, 
Well, maybe I am these days. I don't know what I am. I thought that was a pun that shouldn't have even come in. <laughs> I do not have the physical makeup of a female. Let's put it that way. But I've had ladies tell me that having kidney stones is worse than having babies as far as pain is concerned. I do not know, but ladies, if it is anywhere close, I feel for every one of you. I looked at the doctor and I said, I, I, I'm in so much pain. You're welcome to start the surgery at any time. He says, oh, no, no. He says, that's a 1950s procedure. Now, I think I'm in a 1920s hospital. Maybe we can move into the future if we just go ahead and have surgery real quick. I said, no, no, no. He says, uh, I'll give you some pain medication. And then he said these words, and if it does not work, that's never a good sign. <laughs> if it does not work, then you need to do this and go to another hospital and then another hospital. And so I took the medication and it was that if. It did not work. I went to another hospital where they injected me with morphine so that the pain would subside a bit. The next day we drove about 300 miles so I could get in an airplane and go about another 100 miles to get diagnosed at yet another hospital where they confirmed that yes, indeed, he was correct. <laughs> and no treatment at all, but God healed me because people back home were praying. It's important, friends, that you pray for your missionaries like you did this morning because these things will probably never be reported to you. You will probably never know that what your missionaries are going through on the foreign field, and it may be similar to that where, that yes, they can tell you what's wrong, but there's no fix for it in man's eyes. But God is always in control. So that was my connection with that little place in Equindini, and we knew that God was telling us that we needed to go there to plant a church so we went over and we had secured all of the approvals that were necessary so that we could go and have some crusades that few days that we were going to be there and as a result establish a new church some of our leaders from our city church in Mzuzu had gone over and they had secured a place and it was a uh, it was a little hotel that was in the process of being built. And they had a foyer that was there that was probably half the size of the church foyer here. And they said, this is where we will have the services. Uh, and we were thinking, this is good because of the reports that we had heard. There probably wouldn't be a whole lot of people there. But as we had taken that, again, that Toyota pickup loaded with people and others came on buses or any way they could get there from the main church in the town, and uh, they had began to go into the, the marketplaces. They had gone to the bus stops, and they had gone to different places and started telling people that we're going to have a crusade meeting tonight. We're going to have preaching. We're going to have singing. We showed the film about the life of Christ and did other things that we were able to do. But as they were telling the people, we were to start, I think it was about 6 o'clock that evening. What actually happened was by about 4.30 or maybe at the latest 5 o'clock, there was enough people who had already arrived at that location that we did not have enough room in that foyer of that hotel. So we went to plan number four or something, whatever it was by that time. We moved everything outside. There was an open grassy area just in front of the building 
and it was it was it was good sized and so we took our PA system that we'd already set up in there we moved it outside we got our projector that was that was one of those big old huge things not the nice little compact ones that you can just grab these days I mean this was a big thing and we got everything reset got it ready for that service and we started had a song or two and then began to show the film I was standing somewhere up close to the front but over at the side and I was just observing things that were happening in the crowd. And I saw movement over here to the right side. And some people beginning to make their way to the front, even as this film was being shown. It was not just some ordinary people, but it was uniformed people. It was some of the high-ranking police officials. I'm saying, what happened? Did these guys really not get approval to have this meeting, which is necessary there? It's just a process. And so I was a little bit tense. And as I'm standing over here at the side, uh, they made their way all up and kind of looked at me and said, uh, are you in charge of this meeting? <laughs> uh, yeah, me and that preacher right over there, we're in charge together. <laughs> So, so he says, you've got a problem here. I said, let me call the preacher. We called pastor uh, over, and the guy began to talk to us and tell us what our problem was. It was not that there was not enough approvals. But just beyond that grassy area there was the main highway that went from the northern part of the country down to the south. And there was enough people there at that place where we thought would only fit in a little room Enough people had shown up that they had begun to spill out onto the highway. And they were encumbering the traffic, keeping it from moving clearly. And he says, you need to get the people to move. I said, I think we can do that. We walked back there. We took some of them to the other side of the road. It wasn't a big road, but it was the main road. We put them across the way. There were shops over there. In fact, there was a, there was a bar over there as well, and they kind of had two or three steps up to, to the main level about like this, and we sent some there. That's the first time I think I've ever sent anybody to a bar, but <laughs> sent them there, and they were standing on that side looking over there. We were able to finish the film. We had the preaching of the Word. Many people were born again, and in just a couple of days, a church was established. And now it's how it happened, time after time after time. God intends to plant his church. There are seasons in the way that he plants his church. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 1 says in this Chichewa Bible that I have here, There is a time. There is a season for everything. And God intends to plant his church, but he intends to use his people. I remember growing up, that was the day that we still had choirs. Anybody remember those days? My uh, mom and dad sang in the youth choir, which was anyone from 12 to 35 years old. <laughs> they sang in the youth choir, and they sang a song that was... He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he died alone for you and me. God intends to use individuals. He has the power. We all know that he has the power. He has the authority to do anything that he wants, but he chooses people to plant his church. There's that great season of planting, which we love and we hate, because we in America, we tend to like 
instantaneous results, do we not? We like, I like, I like that. I want something to, I do it now, I want it to be done about two seconds later. But you well know living where you do here, the law of planting, sowing, and reaping. You know that before there is going to be a harvest, there must be a time of planting. And that planting season is not always fun. It's work. With really no results except you can see where that planter or that drill or whatever you call it that's pulled behind the tractor has been. You know that something has happened, but yet there are no results for a while. But nevertheless, if there is never a season of planting, there will never be a season of harvest. It's a law. It's God's law. Call it the law of nature if you want. But until the seed gets in the ground, there will never be a result. I think about some missionaries that are dead now. They're passed on. They're gone. Who I had the opportunity of knowing a little bit about and actually talking with the lady for a little while before she passed away. Morris and Macy Williams were their names. They went into that country of Malawi in the mid-1940s, went up to the far northern part of the country. It was a struggle just to get there. We love airplanes, and thank God for them, and, and it gets us from one point to the other, but they had to travel by ship, and then much of the way that coming in from the ocean, they had to walk, and it took them days and days just walking in to get to their point of where they were going to do their ministry. It was a difficult time. It was a struggling time. But yet they went in there and they planted the seed. They preached the word. They did investment into those lives of those people who lived in that area. And friends, let me just tell you this. Even though they were never there to see the results of the work, because most planters don't get to see the results, but because of what they did, there was a harvest that took place. I think a few years forward, think about a little lady who was also in the same country. Her name was Rose, Rose Klob. Rose was a tough gal. Now, let me preface my statements by saying this. She was a hero of mine in all sincerity. But Rose was one tough cookie. Anytime you say but, you know something's coming, don't you? <laughs> she was tough. We called her Sarge, but never to her face. <laughs> You could hear her shouting all around, telling people what to do and how to do it and when to do it. She even told me one time her last speed to light vehicle was, a, was about a four-ton Toyota truck. She said, Billy boy, you go to South Africa and you pick that truck up for me and you drive it back up here to Malawi. I said, yes, ma'am, salute. I did. Rose went out as a as I think she was 20 or 21 years old, she went out as a single lady missionary, and that time was in West Africa, and because of different wars and things, she moved from place to place, but she ended up there in Malawi, where she spent most of her career, especially the la latter part of it, and then she came home in retirement years, and she was not married by that time. I don't think there's a man in the world could have been married to her. <laughs> but Rose knew what it was to invest in people. She was one of those people who had this uncanny ability to see the, the potential, especially in young people. She would bring them around her. She would begin to use them. The reason Rose got that truck is she was building churches. Now, she didn't 
do the bricks. She didn't hammer the nails, but she was in charge. And believe me, she was in charge. She would get those young people around her, and she'd give them a job. It might have been loading those boards onto the truck from out in the forest where they had been hand cut, or it may have been going down to, the, to where they made gravel. And when I say they made the gravel, they literally would take a hammer, and they would break rocks apart one by one. Then it would be loaded by shovel, shovel by shovel onto the truck, and it would be moved. It could have been when they took the truck down to the local river and hand-loaded one shovel full at a time of sand on to the truck to mix it with the cement and the stone to become the concrete for the floor. That was her last speed the light vehicle. But she knew what she was doing. As she would take those young people, she'd get them working for her, and then she would observe them and say, there's some potential in this young person for ministry. So she would have them start working with the children or with the youth after she had done some training to them. And then they did well, and most of the time they did very well with that. Then she'd have them start working in a leadership in one of the adult roles there at the church. And then oftentimes Rose would end up then sending those same people off to Bible school, and they become pastors, and they were spread about that country. In fact, if you would go there today, some of the people who are in leadership of that church their disciples, if I can call them that, of Rose Club. Why? Because she knew the importance of investing. She knew the importance of that season of watering. As you know, without watering, those seeds will never grow. That's what you do. You, whether it's the natural rains that come or whether it's irrigation, brother, those seeds need water to grow, and she knew what it was to invest in them. And though Rose never saw the true harvest because she come back to the U.S. where she passed away within just a couple of years because of cancer. She never was able to see the great revival that's happening there today. But why will she receive the same reward? Absolutely, because that part is just as important as the harvesters. You know, uh, I did grow up farming, but it was really small-scale farming. Uh, and uh, I saw something right after I moved out to western Oklahoma to pastor. That was wheat area, a lot of wheat that was grown there and massive fields and things. And I bought a little house uh, in that uh, town as I was pastoring there. I think I spent five or $6,000 for it. That was massive money. <laughs> Don't we wish we could get one for that price now? <laughs> uh, it was not in the best location of town, but it was just north of the grain elevators. And I saw something there that I had not seen before because of the type of farming I had done compared to there. Come May, June, depending upon how the seasons had fallen, I suddenly saw these big convoys of commercial harvesters begin to pull in. They parked their equipment over by the grain elevator. As they arrived, they unloaded those pretty massive combines off of the trailer, maneuvered them around and got them up next to the header that was on a trailer, and they put the header on those combines. And it wasn't long after that, after a few more things of preparation, they headed to the field. You see, they didn't sit around the coffee shop and try to determine if there was a harvest. They didn't try to determine if they should go out and do something with that harvest. In fact, they didn't even decide how they should harvest. They knew what they should do. 
and they immediately went to the field. Why did they do that? Because they had an understanding of what harvest is all about. When there is time, when the season is right, when the weather conditions are proper, you go and you get the harvest in then. Because if you wait, the harvest can go away for more reasons than one. Those fields, if something would have happened and there would have been a fire that was lit, that wheat would have been destroyed in no time. If a storm would have come, and storms were not that unusual there in Oklahoma at that time of the year, it could blow that wheat over where that they could only get a small percentage of the harvest that was really there. They understood the importance of harvest, and they understood that when there was a time that they should harvest, that's when they needed to go do it. I pray, dear God, help us to understand today that today is a day of harvest and that we do not come up with plans or ideas or thoughts or excuses or whatever not to bring in the harvest because now is the time. Let us do everything within our power like those commercial harvesters did and go to the field and bring it in while the field is ripe and it's white unto harvest. Sometimes we get involved thinking, well, it's not this, this is not the best way or this is not the best way. And sometimes I think we just need to go do it. Sometimes we just need to take that step of faith. In our lives here, we may say, you know, I don't have the time to invest in the harvest. I don't have the time to leave my family and my friends and go do what? really needs to be done. I don't have that time. I don't have the finances to invest in bringing the harvest. I don't have. I can't. I don't. Friends, it's harvest time and we have to do what we have to do. Let me just tell you this. Across the continent of Africa, we're seeing some wonderful things happen. We're seeing churches that are growing by leaps and bounds. National churches for countries. I'm thinking about Tanzania right now. I was just with them a little over a year ago for them to celebrate their planting of churches. They had a goal to plant 8,000 churches within a 10-year period. I was there at their celebration. They had to stand in front and say, we did not reach our goal. I don't remember the exact number, but they said something they said, we have only planted in these last 10 years 7,991 churches. <laughs> How disappointing is that? Not at all. Maybe they didn't reach, but sometimes we need to set goals out there. It's bigger than what we can reach on our own. Maybe it's something we need the Holy Spirit to help. They had done wonderful. It's grown by leaps and bounds, and they're continuing to grow. I think about over in Ghana, in West Africa, where they're just finishing up a, 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 a time a, an emphasis of planting 3,000 new churches. It's called Vision 3000, and they're just coming up, maybe just a few short, but they had the vision, and they're seeing it happen. Wonderful things are happening indeed. But yet, there are so many places where that's not yet happened. We have 23 countries with not one Assembly of God missionary from the United States there in that country. We have a lot of work to do, and we need you. There are 867 still yet 
unreached people groups across that continent. What are we going to do? We can sit back and we can glory in what has happened. But we have to see what is still remaining to be done. We have 199,484,190 people in sub-Saharan Africa with no access to the gospel. We have a job to do. We see what our issue is, and we know where we have to go. How many of you know we don't just look at the problem, but we look at the answer? Of course, we know the answer is Jesus, but we've got a plan. In this book, we have sat down and we have strategically, strategically looked at every country on that continent in what we need to do to reach them. We have our plans, and we need people, and we need partners just like you who will some of you will come, some of you will give with your monthly faith promises so others can give or others can go. And some who will help us with tabernacles, building churches. We, there's great needs without question. But unless we all do our part, we're not going to see a victory won. There are countries there, I will tell you, that uh, me holding an American passport, I'll probably never get into. Islamic Muslim strongholds, that's just the reality of it. But that's part of this reason, remember what I said earlier, planting, nurturing, and partnering. We're partnering with a lot of our national churches in Africa. That's the, the country, the churches in one country. That's what I refer to when I say national church, the leadership and, and the churches combined of one country. We work with those national churches and doing things like partnering with Bible schools, getting local people trained so that they can in turn be those pastors, those evangelists, and even those missionaries. Places where I would go and put my American passport down, they could look at me and say, get out of here, you infidel. We don't want you in our country. But if one of these men that we have been able to get trained are able to go in with their passport, lay it down on that same table that I laid mine on, and they will say to them, welcome, brother. We're happy you're here. Different levels. Everything's not the same. But as we do our part, we're building the kingdom of God, and we're seeing things happen. So it's because of you, and on this Faith Promise Sunday that we're in, as you take that Faith Promise card, you're allowing, through your giving, not allowing, you're empowering us as missionaries to go and do what God has called us to do, whether it be someone who is out building a tabernacle building like we do, or whether it's a Bible school teacher who's doing that, or whether it's someone who's working with the physical needs of people, whatever it may be, it's one big plan for us to see the nations redeemed by the power of God Almighty. That's what it's all about. God has allowed us to be a part of this thing called Africa Tabernacle Evangelism now for a number of years. I've been leading it since 2003, and we have been able to get uh, built uh, since its beginning with our team about 3,500 churches and for that we're extremely grateful they're simple basic buildings and we'll show you in just a few minutes uh, a little video that'll take about two and a half three minutes and then I want to come back and finish up with one story but we're able to go in we're able to get these these buildings built and then they multiply in fact those 3,500 buildings are enough to seat in excess of a million believers 
and people who need to come and hear the message of Jesus Christ. So it's been a wonderful thing, and we're thankful for that. We thank, we're thankful for our teams that are across the continent there who are literally building when, at this point, we can't even go into the country because of COVID and the restrictions and things that are there. We're thankful for them, but that's what we call this empowering thing. That's what we call partnership. So it's not just a one-sided thing. It's not just you giving to us so we can do something. No, it's about us getting this message of Jesus Christ out. So whether it's building a church or whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, partnering with a, with a Bible school to teach these people or whatever it is, we have a plan. We'd love for you to take one of these books if you'd like to. I have several back there on the, on the table, and you're welcome to take those if you would like to see what our plan is and ask you to be a part of it. Tabernacles, we thank God for every one of them. We're seeing wonderful things happen. I'm going to show you this video. I'm going to come back and tell you one story about a tabernacle, and we're going to go from there. Imagine with me a healthy church within walking distance of every person in Africa. This is our vision, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, people are coming to Jesus and churches are being planted across the continent of Africa. But along with the growth of the church in Africa comes a need. For many African congregations, having a permanent church building to meet in is too costly due to their limited resources. Africa Tabernacle Evangelism began in 1991 in response to this need. Since then, Africa Tabernacle Evangelism has helped construct almost 3,500 buildings. Partnership is crucial. Africa Tabernacle Evangelism provides the basic framework and roof while the local church will then finish the walls and floors. Teams also come from the USA to work alongside our African brothers and sisters during the construction process. It's a beautiful display of partnership and unity for the glory of God. In fact, many churches even double in size within one week of a tabernacle being built. It's been a real uh, joy for uh, the team from First Assembly in Rockford to be here on site in Togo working with the tabernacle, the tabernacle evangelism. And um, those two things are coming together in a very powerful way because the tabernacle creates a venue for evangelism to take place. The African Assemblies of God has grown to over 83,000 local congregations. And as a result, there's a great need for tabernacles to be built. Financial support to purchase and ship building supplies is needed. Would you engage in this work that has such a great influence on a community? Congregations are waiting for you. I just want to say a word of thanks to all the churches and people in America who have given and made this possible. Uh, this is one of 800 churches in Togo, and probably only half of them have an adequate place to worship. And so this work is going to be a huge blessing to the church here in Togo. It is in working together with the churches in Africa that we will have the most impact. Will you partner with us to provide building materials for a new church? Will you partner with our African brothers and sisters as they spread the gospel in their area? Will you be a kingdom builder? Together, we can change the face of Africa. Just mentioned, uh, some people have asked, I don't have it there on the video, and I don't like to get into talking a long time about how much one of these costs, but uh, most of these at this point in time uh, are about $7,500. Uh, I've had people give... Uh, 
in partnership with others to establish one of these churches or to build one church. We've had people who've given in honor of someone who's passed on or in memory of someone who's passed on. And so if you'd like to be involved in one of these in any way, we would certainly appreciate your partnership and, uh, and God, God would richly bless you for it. I want to tell you one, one final story as I mentioned. It's about a, a gentleman in uh, Zimbabwe. Talked a little bit about Zimbabwe last night, and you saw a video of a church that we built there in Zimbabwe, if you were here for the, uh, the banquet. In another place, but in the same general area, a place called Overspill, right on the outskirts of the, of the, uh, the capital city of Harare. We're there putting up a bit of a bigger church. Uh, again, this was one of those locations where that we felt there was, there was uh, the need for something more than just our normal-sized church of about 35 by 45, and this was a bit, a bit bigger, so it took us a little bit of time to, to put it up. It was just on the edge of a little dirty, dusty Africa road, and it's not unusual for people to come and they will oftentimes just sit and watch and see everything that's happening because it's very unusual to see a building go up as quickly as these do. Some will just be walking by and they'll observe and then they'll come back later and see what's going on. Maybe they were on the way to the market or something and just become a bit enamored by what's going on there. But in this particular location, there was one man who would constantly walk up and down that little dusty road. He was not a, can I say, a normal man in the sense of he, he was crazy, okay? He had lost his mind, literally. He would walk up and down that road. He was in his old tattered, torn, dirty garments. Ha- hair was matted and just he, he, he looked awful. And oftentimes he would act out and uh, most people are afraid of these type of people because you don't know what they might do suddenly. This guy was always, as he was walking up and down that road, he was clutching some old paper in his hand. You would always see him as he went. He always had that in his hand. I found out later that this guy had been a school teacher. He loved to read, and that paper was what he remembered from the past going up and down that road, and I wish I could say it was me, but it wasn't. It was a fellow missionary that felt directed to go out and invite that man to come to the crusade that was going to be held that night. Of course, most people didn't think that would happen, that someone would invite him in the first place, and certainly didn't think that he would remember and would come, but as service was starting that night, much to the chagrin of individuals who were there, this old, dirty, smelly, tattered guy came walking in. He walked right down to the very front and sat on one of the benches. It was right there at the front. He heard the preaching of the word. He heard the singing of the song. He heard the invitation that was given. And whether he in that moment was able to process really what was happening or not, only God knows. But when the altar call was given, he got up from where he was at made his way just a few feet forward. And in that miraculous moment, he gave himself to Christ. He repented of his sins. His soul was renewed. But there is something more that happened because the Bible tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away 
and some things change. All things become new. When that man stood up from where he was at, a man that we got to know as Levi Chihomway, not only was his sins forgiven and his soul was clean, but he was also renewed in his mind. In an instantaneous moment, the Holy Spirit came in and made all things new. Levi Chihomway started attending the church, and because of that avid desire that he had to read he started reading the word of God vigorously and learning and he was being mentored being trained being discipled whatever you want to call it by the leadership the pastor of the church and because of that desire to learn and all he soon had a pretty good grasp on things and he became a Sunday school teacher in the church it was amazing what was happening it wasn't too long he was even Put in as one of the deacons of the church. Then the last I heard, Levi Chihomway had matured to the point that he was off to Bible school to become a pastor in the church. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are new. Friends, that's what happens when we work together to see the kingdom of God built across Africa, and around the world. Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I thank you for a wonderful church like Calvary Assembly of God right here in Lexington that has given themselves to partner with us and to partner with other missionaries so your word can go forward. Now I pray, Lord God, as people are considering what it is that you would have them to do this year for their faith promises, I pray that you would help them to stretch for we know just like those commercial harvesters, now is the time when we have to go all out to bring in the harvest. Let us do our part in reaching the world, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Man, what a great word.